Luke chapter 5, starting with verse uh, 17. Okay? Find this part interesting. This has to do with the uh, man that was paralyzed and was healed, and they freaked out, and he said, well, what's easier to say? You know, take your bed up and walk? Or So that's where we're going to start. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And look at this here. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Okay? This, the idea of that statement there is like the, the power of God is here to, to more than just instruct us. Okay? We do need instruction. The Bible tells us it's not in man to know what to do. So we do receive instruction and guidance from the Word of God. But lately I've been praying, Lord, we need a supernatural church. Not just a a church of instruction, supernatural. And so what he was saying, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them, it's um, more here to uh, directly touch and change our lives. Not just so much just healing out of, you know, up and walk, but you could have your mind healed in the presence of God during the, even now, even tonight, in a teaching of the Word of God, you can receive something by faith and say, man, I, I need that. And the presence of God is here to do that. This is not a, uh, a, a class, you know, 101 Bible at Ohio State or something. This is where we look for God to move in the power. Every time you crack that Word of God, you're opening a power. Every time you look in that Word of God, it's filled with power. And I think we we forget that so much when we look at the Word of God or when we try to study it, like even now. I think I might have said a few weeks ago when we first started, uh, not so much wanting a classroom atmosphere, which doesn't mean questions are bad and all that stuff, but kind of we want a supernatural atmosphere. We want God to be able to stop us if He wants to and just do something, or you even get caught up in what here's being something exactly that you need, and you receive something from God. So God is here to always do stuff. And I hope you never lose sight of that. So verse 18, he goes on and says, And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. He was paralyzed. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by way what they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and led him down through the tiling, uh, with his couch into the midst before Jesus, okay? Now, something what stuck out to me, even in that movie, was the effort of those men. Man, I want four friends like that. I want to have four friends that are like that. The, the effort of these friends of this paralyzed man, that, the effort that they went to in order to bring Jesus, or in order to bring him to Jesus, certainly, certainly shows their determination and faith that they had in the Lord. We've just got to get it to him. Somehow, some way, we got to get him to him. And that's what you ought to have to those people who work around you, your neighbors, your friends, your families that are lost. Somehow, some way, you've got to convince them to come to sit under the Word of God and let God touch them. Touch them emotionally, spiritually, maybe financially, physically, who knows? All sorts of ways that God can touch and heal. And every once in a while we'll go, hey, you want to come? Nah. And that's kind of it. We don't say nothing for another five years or something. But these guys were determined. Verse 20, it says here, and when, they, and when he saw their faith, he said unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now the Bible tells us that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Not seen. 
And yet Jesus says right there, and I've seen your faith. I've seen your faith. So how did he see their faith if the Bible says faith is the evidence of things not seen? Is that a contradiction there or it's a lot easier than, it's not a trick. Exactly. He, he, you know, he's speaking and teaching and maybe all of a sudden there's noise and a roof being torn apart and tiles falling and he looks up and he sees these four guys. I don't know if they were frantically or methodically, who knows, carrying this guy up. You know, dead weight is heavy no matter how many pounds it is. Carrying this guy up and then lowering him down through. At, he saw their faith of what they believed they had to do to get him to Christ. He saw it. And that brought me to the scripture in James 2.18. When he says, Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. And he says, I will show thee my faith by my works. And that was faith by their works. we got to get them to Christ. But there's, there's no way to get in. The crowd is, excuse me, excuse me. It might have been 20 deep. And they're not even paying, or paying attention to him. A guy on a stretcher, no small thing. And so somehow they go around up in his house, tear apart the roof, lower him down. And that's, God saw their faith in action, like Tim said. So it's not a contradiction. So when you continue to cry out, Wednesday after Wednesday, or whatever you do, you join us for fasting the first Wednesday of every month. You, you come to the house of God, you dive in the Word of God, you continue to pray for whoever, how long... God sees that. And we do that by faith because a lot of times we don't have the substance of anything happening. We don't see anything really. We can't tell when someone's close or almost saved. We can't tell. A lot of times we look at them and we write them off and they are close. So it's by faith, not by sight. And by you doing whatever it is, the the way you seek God and how you seek God, whether you sit in a stump in the woods or you sit in a rocker in your basement, God watches and sees, and he saw their faith. So yes, that is how. By my works. Getting that man to Christ, getting your people to Christ somehow, some way. And I think I've said it before, and I don't mean it to sound braggadocious or, you know, I'm really... Oh, anytime some... Like when Whitney Houston died, I thought, man, if we could have just got to her, if one of us could have just been friends or pals or, or had an inn where she would trust, you know how they're guarded and you can't even see their houses, but if you just, any one of you could have talked life into her, if you could have just got to her. And that's what their attitude was with this man in the, that was paralyzed. We just got to get him to Christ. And they went through all that effort, all that strain. Who knows how far they walked with him before they even came into sight. And the Lord said, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. So I thought that was awesome when I saw that. All right, let's, let's move on because this still has the same vein here. We didn't see this in the movie. But uh, Mark 5, it says this, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years, 12 years, now, we can read that and just kind of dismiss that as, you know, just some uh, issue of blood, some sickness that isn't real uh, popular to talk about. But if you really dove into it, and we won't right now, 
if you really dove into it, it made her ceremonially unclean. She wasn't even allowed to be around people. Her husband could divorce her. She was totally abandoned by everybody, by family, by the church, because she had this issue of blood. Day in, day out, minute by minute, hour by hour, for 12 years. 12 years. And you know what? I don't know why things go on long. I don't know why some trials just seem to never end and others, bam, the miracle's right there. I don't know. I don't have those answers. But this lady was going through 12 years, an absolute long trial. Not only that, it says, and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had. Nothing was better but grew worse for 12 years. 12 years. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press. Now, in the press doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, but it's a crowd. It's a multitude, a throng of people. It wasn't just something you could make an appointment, pull up in your parking spot, come in and see Jesus. It took, uh, it was a trial to get to her, and she wasn't even allowed to be around people, so she probably had to kind of conceal her situation, conceal her identity or whatever it was, because you weren't even allowed to touch somebody if you were unclean. And now she's in this press. This crowd. And so we're talking about faith, getting to Christ, getting to Jesus. And you can spiritualize that by by how we got to get to Him through prayer. I mean, a lot of times there's there's a throng in your mind and it's crowded with thoughts and negatives and doubts and you doubt yourself and your love for God and the enemy screaming at you and just thronging going on and you feel unclean and if I could just get to Christ. That wrestling and it, and it can go on. A lot of times it keeps us from praying because we just feel so unworthy. When she heard of the Lord, she came into the press, a throng behind him and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Okay? This is not magic. Okay? Was this reaching out and attempting to touch Christ, the clothes had nothing to do with it. Her object was if I could just touch Christ. Just like at times when you're in this book, this book is not a magical book. You could be in this thing, and yet words can leap off this page, hit you right in the heart, and give you just what you need to get through that day. It doesn't make this book a magical book. It, it's in the Spirit of God. It's in the Word of God. It's, it's in the Christ himself that is found in the pages of this book. That's what she was. She was not looking to touch, you know, a, an apron like we see in Paul and all that stuff you get through the mail and Put this under your pillow. That's foolishness. Just touch Christ. Get a hold of Christ through the press. And that's what she was attempting to do. And so we, we know that she did. She succeeded. And it's, it's by faith, though. Everything about her screamed failure. Everything. She looked in the mirror, failure. How many times in those 12 years she prayed and still had the issue of blood time after time after time after time after time after time. Verse 29 says, And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. 
And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched me? Or who touched my clothes? That's the only place in the Word of God where, where healing is talked about that God felt virtue go out his body. It's interesting. Look at his disciples' reaction, which is just probably a reaction we would have. I mean, you've seen the movie where he's coming in and people are reaching out and touching him, you know, and he might touch someone's hands and there's just throngs around him as he tries to make his way through. And that's what's going on. And in the midst of that, lady come up behind him and touched him. And he turns around and says, who touched me? And the disciples look, what? Everybody is. Everybody's touching you. This is a mob. His disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee? And you saith, who touched me? Okay. Now look, there's a huge difference between bumping into Jesus and reaching out and touching him in faith. There's a huge difference. Big difference. You can come to church every week, week after week after week, and bump into Jesus. And there's probably not a whole lot that's going to happen. Not a, probably not a whole lot of change. Until you get serious and you start reaching out and touching him by faith. God, I need you. I need you, Lord. Rather than just singing amazing grace and just singing songs. So the reaching out and touching in the faith is in the heart. This is a heart relationship. I've got to touch Christ tonight. If you remember, even at times we'll say, okay, let's just stop the service and let's Let's really sing this song as a prayer. And then let's come up here and really pray. And every time, God meets us. Every time. Because we're not just bumping into him like in a crowd, bumping into him. You have purpose. Your eyes are fixed, and I've got to get to him. God responds to that stuff. Who touched me? He knew it. He knew somebody touched him by faith, and he knows when you reach out by faith and touch him. Whether it's just a weary, weak, sniveling, crying, help, God responds. So I like that part, because a lot of things buffet us. We can get lost in a crowd, can't get to Jesus. All right, the next thing I went on to I found is very interesting, and I just entitled it Storms. We saw him in the storms through last week's storms. Storms are, you know, we're expecting one today. I don't know whether, well, it might, you know, things kind of get ominous out there and kind of get black, and the clouds have a look, and you're thinking, uh-oh. So storms are something that just kind of represent, you know, not the normal type of life stuff's going on here that's kind of crazy. Well, Nahum chapter 1 verse 3 is the first verse I thought of when I turned my uh, attention to the storms that we were watching last Sunday night. It says this, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and he will not at all acquit the wicked. And here's the part, the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Bible says the Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. 
And storms can be absolutely scary, just frightening. They can be quite powerful, and they have a way of interrupting normal, everyday functions. I mean, you could be outside with your picnic gear, and everything's kind of cool, and all of a sudden a little breeze kicks up, and next thing you know, paper plates are flying, people are flying, running, games are over, no more horseshoes, everybody's running. They have a way. And storms come into our lives like that. It just come a long time ago. Preached on them and called message called it uh, Eurocladon. If you remember that one, that's a nor'easter, a storm that just spins off the northeast coast and just wrecks havoc out of the northeast. And it's storms like this. But God said, "I have my way in the storms. If you're in a storm, you need to just listen to God. Storms have a way of teaching us stuff." We're going to look at two storms. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Now look at these storms. Now remember, storms can come in all forms of of ways and situations. And I know that here people my age are now being thrust into the uh, time of caregiving. Moms and dads, both, whatever. And it's chaos to your, well, hello, are you kind of missionary? We got them both now. Didn't realize that. Welcome. Um, I lost my train of thought. Yes, caretaking. And they have a way of all of a sudden they're like becoming your children, even though they're still your father or mother. And it creates like chaos and, and it's a storm and everything's just up in the air and it's just different. I mean, it just is. Um, my mother's not here, and I'll tell. I'm looking at everyone to make sure if she tells me the story. I know who told her. But she'll, she's, you know, at home, about four miles away, not far away. If she drops her remote and the batteries fall out, she calls me. doesn't matter what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm down on my hands and knees trying to change the channel on the TV. That's a 90-year-old lady. You know, so I'm like, it doesn't matter if I'm giving mouth-to-mouth to somebody. I've got to go and put the batteries in. So it's like total different realm that I've never, and it can just cause chaos and storm. That's really a mild and meek one, but that's just one. So we're going to look at these storms. Mark 4, verse 35, it says, In the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Remember the story. We just saw it. And when he had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat in the ship so that it was now full. I think the sea they're talking about was like 13 miles wide, long, or 8 miles wide. It wasn't, you know, not just a little pond. So there was a great storm the water filling the ship. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they waked him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Using all the right terminology, Master, Lord, following Christ, he told them, go across. So they're obeying. Okay? Just kind of like you and I do. And he arose, rebuked the wind, said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm instantly. Okay? 
And he said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Okay? These are storms that come into our lives. And look at their response. And they feared exceedingly. The storm's over. And they're freaking out, fearing still. It's all peace now. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? God will put you through things to just confirm who you think you're serving. I mean, they were calling him master. The storm's over, and they're exceedingly fearful, thinking, oh, my gosh, what do we have here? Who is this guy? They didn't have the greatest revelation that he was the Lord, the Messiah, the creator. And so off goes the storm, comes their way, and storms go your way. And they might throw you all over the place. Everything's crazy, yet you get through it. And you kind of look at this Christianity and the Word of God and something, and you're going, man, this is not like normal religion. Because it's not. It's a relationship with Christ. It's a true relationship God is wanting you to have. And when storms come your way, God is wanting you to rely on Him and be there for you. And there, He's teaching them this through trials, through storms. Through their obedience to God. They were obeying God when the storm came. Storms that come are not always because of disobedience. Not always. God will try to make, put character in you. God trying to give iron in your soul. So that you're not a wimpy Christian. I mean, there is a crisis brewing. And I don't know how bad it's going to be. Or when. But there is a crisis brewing, and I think the world knows it. And in 2001, when the Twin Towers were hit and they came down, we were all stunned. And people flocked to church. They did. They flocked to church for about three weeks, and it didn't last because I don't believe the church had anything to tell them. Nothing really to give them to sink their teeth and to hang on to. Certainly pastors didn't. And if the pastors didn't, then usually the sheep don't. But now God has been telling us to prepare. Get ready. For when they come, they're going to be undone and without hope. Desperate. And you've got to have something to speak to them. You've got to speak the word of God into their lives. And that will sustain them because God can do all things. And that is all That we're coming down to now is just God. And this is a time for the church truly to get ready for the storm. Because they're going to come in. They're going to be undone. You're going to speak life to them. We're going to go, man, I I don't know. What what kind of thing you got going on here? They might not just totally grasp it, but they'll get it. All of you are serving God from personal storms in your life. If you all could testify, you know, I was on drugs, I was this, I'm a, I wanted to kill myself, I wanted to do that, and you come to Christ. Let's look at the second storm now. God is saying, okay, they're getting it, starting to understand some, so I'm going to give them another storm. 
Matthew 14, 22 says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship. Constrained them. Get in. You've got to get in. Get in now. I want you to go now. Get in. Well, just no. Get in. Get in the ship now. And to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up unto the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Here we go again. Remember, we would always say, if you're, if you're just coming out of trial, thank God. But eventually, you'll probably go into another one. Because that's just the way we are as people. We seem to go to one problem to another. and Iron sharpeneth iron. And just kind of the way it is. So now they're heading into another storm. The ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea, which is what we saw last Sunday night. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. That would shock you. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. You know what I like about this? Peter didn't say, I know it's you. I'm coming. He said, oh, God, if that's you, because I do that with God. I said, God, if this is you. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go see Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. Look, there is a reverential fear and respect for God, okay? There's also a fear and a dread. Oh, my gosh. You know, we just feel like I can't move because God's here, right? But there's also a fear that comes against the work of God. Well, here he is. This guy is walking on water, and when he takes his eyes off, the enemy leaps on him with fear, and he immediately sinks. That's what we do today. You start serving God. If you even think about serving God, the enemy jumps on you. And what about this, and what about that, and how about this, and you think this. And a lot of times I even tell you at some type of altar call, don't think, just come, just come before the enemy stops you. Well, if I come, they'll see me, and And this is exactly what he does. He attacks faith by fear. Peter was afraid, and immediately he sunk. Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Again, another storm. Look at their response this time. And when they were in the ship, And worship him, saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now they're getting it. And how do they get it? By going through storms. By going through trials. By going through tribulations. You know, the desert of loneliness. or The furnace of affliction. The heat of trials. And you call upon God and all you have is God. When your answer is, I don't know, but I'm just going to keep hanging on to God. Then God gets you through another storm. And this time you're saying, man, you are God. You are God. 
you confirmed this to me through my trials. I had no strength, no ability, no way out. I had no hope. Yet here I do stand in my right mind. You are God. That's why you've got to go through them. It's a learning period. It's a trusting period. It is a walking by faith without sight. When the storms are raging, another wave takes you over and you've gone back and you're still standing. He said, thou art truth, thou art God. Storms. Remember we talked about the eagle? And if you study the eagle, everybody runs from storms. The eagle looks to them. He looks for the storms because they got these certain currents and wind that's up there. And when we're ducking and hiding, he takes off and catches those currents. And he soars higher than he ever could in a storm. And you and I are supposed to wait upon the Lord and mount up wings as eagles. Storm coming. Look at it out there. You think, okay, God, it's the time for us to fly. This is the time for the church to soar. God's calling you to soar. And you can be going, but I'm afraid. So God teaches you to rely on him in the storm. So they said, man, oh man, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Man, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And they learned this fantastic truth in a storm. So that's why you need to go through storms and must go through storms. I put on Facebook not too long ago, Jonah ended up in a storm because of disobedience. Now there's those. Okay, we're not really relying on our making our point on that one, but there are storms of disobedience. You run from God, you check the rear view, ma- uh, rear view mirror, you probably got a well closer than you think about ready to, boom, and God will take you where he wants to. Okay? But we're talking about the disciples were obedient and they got in a storm because of their obedience. But God saw them through it. There have been many storms that have buffeted this church. Many times this, the wheel of the ship of this church just spun out of control. I'm going, God, I mean, if, if the wheel's really flying, you just can't grab it. They'll break your wrists. And many times I'm just going, God, I don't know. It's you or nothing, God. And he always brings us through. Many times, you know, the wave comes, and it seems like we're going, this is it. You ever see the, they fish in those seas? What's that movie called? The show called The Reality. What? Yeah, deadliest catch. Them things go like this, and you're thinking, that's it. And here they come back up, and all the water runs out of the, I felt that many times. Personally, in my life, and in, if you want to say captain of this ship, many times. Where you're just going, Lord, and up you come. And you go, man, wish you are, you are God. I never say, man, what a captain I am. 
what a captain I am. No, never, never. Okay, so that was a bunch of the main points that I had for you. If you're in a storm, just look. Look for the Lord. Another quick point was, you remember when Stephen, Stephen had this bright future, maybe, you know? Maybe he had his itinerary, he's going to preach at this church, he's going to preach at New Hope this week. And he goes and does his first message and they stone him to death. You remember that one? And you can look at that and you can think, oh no, man, what a promising future, everything's ruined. But as they looked around, they didn't know what was out there. Saul was in the crowd of Tarshish, who became Paul, who wrote almost all the New Testament. At maybe the lowest time and point in whatever church or pastors or what happened to Stephen? He just prayed with him, and he died last week. What? And you know the gloom and the, when David Wilson died, I was just stunned. I don't know why it was. It just was. I knew he didn't walk on water, but I was just stunned. I was stunned the way he died in a car crash. I'm like, what? Car crash. I felt vulnerable. But out there in the crowd, even breathing threatenings, come, was Saul, who became awesome in God. In a storm, just trust God. Now, if your storm is from disobedience, then you need to hit the deck and repent. Say, God, I'm sorry for being a fool. You told me to do this, and I didn't. You've been after me, and I've said, I don't care. And God will have mercy on you. Okay, one more quick one. I loved it when they dragged the woman. She was really clothed. I don't even, you tend to get the idea that she might not have been in the Word of God clothed that much. Because why? She was caught in the very act. And they're just dragging her. I don't think they particularly cared if she had a sheet on or not, but they were, they were dragging her and threw her before the Lord. And of course, what he did with the stones was just awesome. And if I remember right, and I think if I'm wrong, just say something, but I think as they were all ready to throw stones, it said from the oldest to the youngest, the oldest started dropping stones first. They knew. Took the younger a little bit more. Oh, man, we could have. But the older were going, started dropping the stones. But what I loved, the Lord did what? Forgave her, but then said what? Yes. Yeah. We are forgiven, but go and sin no more. We're living in a day and age where we just think we can do anything as much as we want and then just run back and ask for forgiveness. And Go and sin no more to that woman. Now, I really don't know what happened to her life, but I just thought that was kind of cool. I'm glad they didn't miss that one. It's a lot more important than the drinking and the, and the supper. I love the part where, well, did you happen to find the, got the second one? Okay, that's right. Remember when the Lord walks up and he sees the tax collector, Matthew, and he's mouthing about forgiveness, and he was mouthing it back, saying, I'm a sinner, and he had such a look on his face. 
That actor sold me that he was repenting. Eyes welling up with water, saying, I'm a sinner. That's what Christianity is. That's what you must confess. The confession of Matthew, the tax collector, I am a sinner. And then God forgave him and said, follow me. I love that part. I didn't think of it until just a second ago and tried to have her find it, but that's a lot to ask while she's still running screens. But it made me think of this verse. Now look, we all struggle with sin, all of us. Psalms 51.3, you need to burn this one into your spiritual mind. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Acknowledge your sin. Yes. Oh, yes, God. Yes, that's me. I'm so sorry. Because there then comes the forgiveness. The acknowledging is humbling yourself. Humility. The way up and God is down. Humility. Humbling. Oh, my goodness, God, I'm so sorry. You're right. David said, I acknowledge he was king. He was king. And yet... That's that heart that God talked about. That's why he got rid of Saul and said, I picked a man who has a heart after me. That then David sinned. Woo, he sinned. But then he would say, oh, God, I acknowledge my sin. It's always before my eyes. And forgiveness was there and being washed clean by his grace and mercy always came for David. Look at Proverbs 28, 13 says, so when messages are going on in the Word of God and worship, whatever's happening, if you're feeling smitten in the heart, don't hide it. Don't pretend you're not feeling that. Don't get up and leave. Because Proverbs 28, 13 tells us, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. God gives you opportunity to come to this altar and confess it. Or if you're in your car and God strikes you with something, just, you're right, God. Don't blow it up. Don't change channels and throw some oldies on loud and try to drown it out. And Confess it. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. That's what God says. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You know what? That's what I want. When I'm down to about 12 breaths and you're around, remind me of God's mercy. Don't remind me about what I did. Oh, you were such a wonderful pet. Be quiet. Just tell me about God's mercy. That word covereth means to conceal and hide, and that's what we do. When we're laying out the word of God, and sometimes it can be rough, and we have an altar call, a lot of times 80% don't move because they're afraid. If I move, then they'll know Then you're hiding and concealing. And God said, it won't prosper. Meaning, that's not so much money. You won't prosper in me. You won't prosper in a relationship that I want to have with you. I want to be tight. I want to be intimate with you. I want to be close with you. But I can't. Because you keep telling me you're clean and you're not. You're unclean. Don't confess it. God, I'm unclean. And God comes to you. Like the leper. Remember, that was, that was uh, the law. You had to walk around and yell, unclean, unclean, because leprosy. All wrapped up and 
body parts falling off and people just totally, and the Lord heals the leper, confessing unclean. Leprosy in the Word of God is a type of sin. That's you and I. Unclean. No, God, I'm all right. You're hiding it. Your walk with God, you will not prosper. You'll draw no closer to God. No greater revelations of God for you until you deal with stuff. When God opens your eyes to them. Don't hide it. Confess it. You don't have to confess it to me. Pastor, I murdered somebody in 1972. You'd have to pick me up off the floor. I ain't saying confess it to me. I'm not the priest. I'm saying confess it to God. Confess it. Oh, God, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. We have trouble with that as people. But not God doesn't. God knows what you are already. He wants you to confess it so you can feel the release of it. Oh, and then the forgiveness of God. And you walk close with God. Acknowledge it. Yeah, nobody acknowledges it. I'm all right. And that's a shame. And because we cover our sin, we don't prosper in the power of God or in the majestic glory, the Shekinah glory of God or the presence, the thick, rich presence of God. We're not all right. We're fouled up as people and as believers. I don't want to be, but we are. We're a weak group of Christians in America. We are. Did you see the Facebook post that I, I put on with like 50 seconds of uh, uh, the Chinese? Uh, they're all in this room, and they got this big box or something, and they finally rip it open in their Bibles, and they went, oh, and they were grabbing the Bibles going, <laughs> going, oh my gosh. I got Bibles enough to bury myself in. And they're just holding. Look, go to, if you're on Facebook, I think it would be on my homepage, right, if I put it on and, and find it. It's only like 50 seconds. Look, they're, look at their faces. Even guys going, <laughs> kissing the Word of God. We're jammed. In order for us to kiss the Word of God, we've got to have that hand sanitizer and put it all over it, and, you know, and dress it off. And, and they were just so overwhelmed to have the words of life, something that they've never had. Now, what that is is a perfect example of flesh, of carnal nature. We get used to stuff. Flip it. If China had the Bible all the time and they sent it to us, it would be a picture of us going, God, I can't believe I finally got one. That's how bad the flesh and carnal nature is. But it's a shame that that's part of that fallen, lousy nature. And then as the whole scene's unwinding, of course, you know it's part of God's plan I was just, I'm always befuddled and bewildered <clears throat> of the blindness of men. I mean, you're in the garden. But what if you was in the troops and you're in the garden and, you're, and your buddy, Rod, the sergeant, gets his ear whacked off and you're tussling over this Jesus and the other disciples and all of a sudden everything stops and he walks over 
and heals Rod's ear, and you still arrest him and take him? You mean to tell me no one in that crowd went, I'm done with this. This is crazy. Maybe someone did. Wouldn't you think, as a constant as the word kept, I mean, it's just, um, it's just amazing how blind we can be with tradition. And like it or not, and I don't like it, I'm sure we have tradition here. You know the format. Tradition. Yes. Betrayed him with a kiss, kissed him. I am he, and they just and they still drag him off. It's just, it's just amazing how blind we can be, and become. We can. Tradition, tradition is wicked. It's just insane. And I've made fun of that in ways. Italian, okay. What do I always tell you? If you cut your spaghetti, you're crazy. I mean, that's insane. That's got to be a sin. I haven't found it in the Bible yet. But it just has to be in there. You can't cut your spaghetti. That's a tradition. <laughs> you got to be a roller, man. I mean, we learned to roll young. Spoon, bread, whatever it is, you just roll that thing and you don't cut it. You're ruining the meal. That's a tradition. It's ridiculous. Uh, the spaghetti doesn't, I swear it does, but it doesn't change taste because it's in little kibbles and bits. <laughs> and I was thinking of Bruce, but I don't know if you're guilty of this or not. It's not. It's tr- I'm not talking about exposing bad things. But do you put ketchup on eggs? No, it's not you. Who does that? You can't be right. Got that nice white egg and you dump all that red. Oh, my gosh. Your tradition makes that meal of no effect for me. Now, you see what I'm talking about, traditions. And they held traditions on how they served and worshiped God over when God showed up. That frightens me more than anything as a leader. More than anything, that frightens me. I sweat up here. So the priests held their teaching above the word of God. And Mark 7 tells us, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions, which you have, have delivered, and many such like things do ye. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Lord, oh my gosh. Please, Lord, show me. Take the scalpel to new hope. Traditions, word of God. Traditions, word of God. Now, I know we are creatures of habit. You know, Bruce is way out of his boat. He's three pews away from where he sat for 20 years. For 20 years, so you took his pulse right now, it's probably racing. Because we're habit forming. You park, I faked everybody out tonight, I parked in the back. 
I've parked in the front over there for like 20 years. I don't know why. I just have. And when I go around the back, I go, so this is the back. (laughs) It's the truth. I'm never back there. Tradition. It makes the word of God of no effect. None at all. And I think we did find this scene that's coming up. And to me, it was just screamed today and probably any preacher, preacher that ever lived would scream the same thing. But there, she's got it, and we'll look at it here in a minute. But there's this scene of them, I think they're praying in the upper room. Okay? Then the scene changes real fast. And they're in the Holy of Holies praying their stuff. And then it changes real fast again, and you see the Romans praying to their gods. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. That's today. You have the real, you have the religion, and you have the false gods. That's today. It's the spirit that quickeneth. It's the spirit that giveth life. That's the difference. God, we can't go anywhere unless you go with us. Is it not your presence, Lord, that makes the difference? The presence of God. I know that I know that I know because God has come in. It's the Spirit of God. And that's the whole world right there on a ball. The true saying, Father, the religious tradition spewing out probably Scripture, what they're saying, but no life, just law. And then there's the false gods. They'll, they'll hug a tree, they'll, whatever it is, and only this makes the difference. This and only this. So remember, faith can be seen in you just as it was to those who brought this dying man. doesn't say anything about the guy. doesn't talk in the Word of God, but he received the healing because these people believed that they just got them to Christ, God would do something, and he did. And that's what you need in your heart for your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, your wife, your husband, your children, whatever it is. If I can just get them. Because we're not talking about just get them to church. We're talking about a supernatural touch from God. Whether they even look like anything's happened or not, you'll never know. And then the storms that come in. Don't panic and freak. In those storms, you can have a greater revelation of God than you had before. Each one, you'll get to know God more and more and more.